Hi there, I'm Dennis and this is Shiv Valley, a show about Sheffield startups, dedicated to Sheffield's ecosystem with the goal to increase the visibility and connectedness within it. In today's episode 21, I will start with two startup stories. One will be about our local ecosystem and one will be about a global industry on the rise. The main part of this episode will be about funding. I invited Manjit Sarin from Natterhub, a guest I have already had on the podcast, to talk about Natterhub's investment journey what to do to secure funding if you're a startup in Sheffield, and what your mindset towards that money should be. A quick announcement before that, Startup Meetup Sheffield is back next week. The date is June 22nd, Tuesday at 6pm. It will be held outside, at the amphitheatre behind Sheffield's train station, as we're still not allowed more than 6 people inside. If you want to come, please go to the show's notes and find the Eventbrite link to get your free ticket, as this is the way for me to monitor the number of people who are coming. Of course, everyone is welcome. The first story that I want to talk about today is local and is for an event that happened last week. I am a big fan of accelerators and pre-accelerators. For me, it's a proven method of supporting startups and unlocking their potential early on. Also, I think it creates a sense of camaraderie and good opportunity for networking, because startups might be competing for a price in the accelerator, but unless it's a vertical one, they will hardly ever be competing for the same market. Thus, for me, the chance to forge relationships rather than animosity is bigger. This is why I was very excited for the University of Sheffield's pre-accelerator demo day that took place online on Wednesday, June 9th. A bit of backstory for those unaware of the event. Uni of Sheffield had had an interesting story with their entrepreneurship arm in the last 10 years. Samantha Deakin, who I've had on my podcast, was leading the department in its heyday when they were organizing the first startup weekend in the city. Then UniOff closed the department as far as I'm aware, or at least restructured it. Before last year, in 2020, right at the start, Lahari Porchuri, who was also a guest on my podcast and I would encourage you to listen to that episode, started as enterprise manager with big projects in mind and a lot of enthusiasm. Of course, we all know how that story continues with COVID-19, if not ruining, then at least delaying the plans Lahari had in mind. But nonetheless, she and her team rolled up their sleeves and the pre-accelerator demo day was the sweet result of their work in the last year. About the pre-accelerator program, it was pretty standard pre-accelerator for very early stage businesses with ideas in mind and throughout the program they would have built their MVPs or at least developed the business proposition they have. It started on March 3rd and there were 20 startups in the program, 10 of which made it to the demo day. And now on to the demo day. I switched on my favorite Zoom at about 1 o'clock and joined the silence that welcomes us into any Zoom event, consisting of more than two people. Lahari quickly welcomed everyone, laid out the agenda for the day and introduced the judges, a brilliant combination of VCs, university heads and founders. There were 10 pitches in total, each of them was pre-recorded, some of them with a slide deck and few of them with a video narrating the pitch. I'll mention every one of them but will only expand a little more on the two that stood out for me. Lewis Williams was first with hydrophonic farming, aiming to utilize underused urban spaces for this kind of sustainable farming, followed by Flex, a swimming suit startup making trendy garments for people with self-harsh scarms and more inclusive beach apparel overall. Flex, by the way, won the second place. Third was Castrell Air Systems by John Alistair, and that was one of the startups that quite impressed me. Now, doing anything in the drone industry will always seem impressive even if it's a gimmick, but I don't, I, I don't think this is the case with John because he explained how there's currently two types of drones 
and a third one which is a hybrid. But John is working on a sort of a fourth type which combines the efficiencies from all three to bring improvement of 100% scanning mission range and 150% payload capacity. John has patented the design of his drone and while he didn't get into the top three in the end, he won the fans award, which shows that we the audience saw the potential in that venture. Then was the Soul Soup, a startup using space food tech to provide high quality and delicious soups to our lunches. The Soul Soup won third place. Skinware was a sustainable underwear brand. Sheffield Tribology Services is a startup aiming to provide professional friction testing to the railway industry. Royal G, I'd say, is quite an interesting concept as it's a business looking to help small artists and creators online with the power of NFT, non-fungible tokens. The startup was inspired by Boohoo, the massive fashion brand shamelessly stealing a design from a creator for their spring collection without paying anything to the person. I loved the idea, but the Q&A session was ruthless to the founder Anais and with a point. There were visible gaps in the business, but I'm still a fan and I still think there is value in finding ways to help smaller creators monetize, especially using such innovative tech like NFTs. Last one was Eska, the place for food, a sort of HelloFresh type startup looking to make cooking more fun, and I've left two businesses for last because they're quite similar in what they're trying to achieve. First is smart manufacturing solutions, and then it's PredictTech, the winner of the pre-accelerator demo day. Both startups have identified that SMEs in manufacturing are not innovating and digitizing fast enough, and both businesses are looking to deliver solutions for a streamlined data analytics service that can save the manufacturers money, help them identify issues when there is a machine breakdown, etc. I'm definitely not saying that both businesses are the same. My knowledge in manufacturing and digital manufacturing is very limited, and I'm sure that the founders of SMS and PredictTech can spend hours listing the differences in what they do and how they do it. But for me more interesting is this sort of trend forming in Sheffield and particularly Unioff, who startups spinning out trying to solve the productivity and digitalization issue of SMEs. Of course I will refer to Forjao, one of their founders Chris Iverson has been a guest on Sheaf Valley and I've said numerous times how much I believe that Forjo can be a very successful business. But it's great to see that Forjo is not the B.O. end all and there are a lot of different propositions coming from Sheffield and trying to solve these problems. Right after the pitches were concluded and before the announcement, there was a 45-minute session on the importance of entrepreneurship and startup in universities and higher education, which was a great listen as well as this topic to me is very interesting. Student startups have been more and more normalized. I've seen podcasts about student entrepreneurs, freshers getting five figures in investments, people my age running seven, eight-figure businesses. And that is brilliant, because to be successful in business is not dependent on one's age. Yes, experience will always be handy, but looked in a very simple way, you don't need experience to identify a market gap and provide a solution for it. My global story for the week will be about a sector that, pun intended, seems to be in a position to take flight. I'm talking about the air taxi market. The official name used for these industries aircrafts is Electric Vertical Takeoff and Landing, eVTOLs, and founders and investors involved with such startups have stated that 2024 seems like a modest prediction for air taxis to become commercialized, and their statements like these that are driving the insane valuation of companies that don't have any revenue yet. The biggest challenges staying in front of the companies I'll talk about now is infrastructure and legislation, but if they're able to work through them, they can unlock a market worth hundreds of billions. Let's mention some of the big players in the field. We got Joby Aviation, 
who spent 108 million on research and development in 2020. Joby, interestingly, generated their first revenue back in February, the same month when they announced a SPAC merger, which is a way of going public without an IPO, basically a complicated route to securing more funding, which is we established eVito companies need. Joby also have a strategic partnership with Uber. They bought their air taxi moonshot Elevate and have stated that you'll be able to book Joby through the Uber app, which would position them in front of their competitors. Archer spent 20 million on research and development in 2020 and unveiled their two-seat autonomous eVito Maker last Friday. Bear in mind though that Maker will not be the version that reaches commercialization. It was created as a model to be used in the company's efforts for testing and certification. Archer plans to launch, to launch commercial air taxis in 2024 in LA and Miami, with LA seeming like the most relevant option. In 2019, the local government and a number of companies, including Archer, signed their the Urban Movement Labs Partnership, which is an initiative to work together in developing the infrastructure of the city to accommodate these air taxis. Beta Technologies is another company valued at over 1 billion, although they're not targeting the air taxi market, but are looking at other applications of electric aircrafts, like medical supplies, cargo deliveries, and rapid charging systems. Beta secured a Series A round of investment worth $368 million in May, with Amazon's Climate Pledge Fund being the main investor. Beta Technologies was also the first company from this space to be awarded the Airworthiness Approval from the US Air Force. Lilium are a German company who's been around for a while now, since 2015, and to me they're the ones that impress me the most with the design of their eVitos. They look really aesthetic and I will put Lilium's website page so you can see them as well. Lilium raised $240 million back in March as an inside round and have raised more than 350 to date. But they've been having a rough time in the last year, year and a half, not just because of the pandemic, but also because their first eVito prototype burst into flames in March this year. However, this new round proves that their investors still trust the team and the company. And the British Vertical Aerospace which has just agreed on a deal to go public via a merger with Broadstone Acquisition, valuating the startup at 2.2 billion pounds. This is basically the same situation with Joby Aviation, found themselves in, doing a sort of a going public but not through an IPO, and rather doing it through a SPAC merger, so they can generate more money. Vertical claim on their website that their mission is to make air travel personal, on-demand and carbon-free, and currently their flagman project is called VAX4 with speed over 200 mph, nearly silent in flight and very cheap according to their website. Vertical Aerospace has joined the Choose Paris initiative, which in line with the Olympic Games in 2024 which will be held in the French capital, means that the company will demonstrate their eVito in front of the world. And last but not least, Vertical Aerospace work with a lot of serious companies. Now every eVito company has large enterprise partners. But Microsoft, Honeywell, Virgin Atlantic, American Airlines and Rolls-Royce is a great backing to have both when it comes to money and technological know-how. Now when it comes to infrastructure, what can be done so it's realistic for a number of these aircrafts to be able to fly safely in a city? Vertiports is the word used for space for landing and taking off from and the idea is to use existing infrastructure first and then develop a new one with the time and the demand. In a sense, this movement is part of the urban mobility movement, in line with the car sharing, electric scooter businesses. But the difference is that with car sharing, the infrastructure was already in place. What phones and apps did was unlock that potential and make the process easier and seamless, 
it was scalable, repeatable, and the only barrier was legislative, and which still turned out to be massive. Here, there are so many things that need to go right, and in the end of the day, it depends a lot whether they will go right, because the projected revenue by 2026 is $2.2 billion, but the projected revenue by 2036 is $102 billion. We see this massive, massive difference. There has been a report lately stating that investors and founders might be underestimating the complexities that will come with trying to launch air taxis on the mass market, and in the end of the day, it will depend whether customers and consumers will want that technology, will would be relevant enough for us to use air taxis in our cities. If it is, then I'm sure that the legislation, the certification and the infrastructure will come in place. But if not, we might not get the flying cars, or in this case e-vitals, that we've been waiting for so long. And now it's time for my conversation with Manjit Sarin from Nutterhub about funding. Enjoy! I'm here today with Manjit Sarin from Nutterhub. Hi, Manjit. How are you? Hi, Dennis. How are you doing? I'm good. Yes. Very well. And so thank you for being the first person that's uh, coming to Shivali for the for second repeated time. Really appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me back. Thank you. So let's just jump into the first question. And as the focus is on investment and on funding, I'm going to start with a bit of bit of a cliche question and it might seem as a question that the answer is pretty straightforward but I still want to hear it from you. Why do you think investment is important for a startup and what are the benefits? Yeah, I mean investment I think is really important for startups to to get to market quicker and, and scale up and I think the main benefit you know is that startups can grow at a, a faster pace rather than rather than building their company organically. So yeah, I would say really important. And talking about Nutterhub's investment journey, let's start with with the beginning. When did you start thinking about funding and when did you realize it is the time for it? So if I look back, you know, it's been a, a, f- a few years with our, with our journey. So I, so early days, I actually self-funded the company and then we spent uh, a couple of years or so working on our concept and researching the market. We, we spoke to thousands of parents, schools, and children. And once we were really clear on our, our concept and model, we, we started building our MVP. And, and that's also when we started thinking about raising. We wanted to, to get to market you know, really quick and create a, a big impact. And we, and we needed that cash then to, to help us accelerate. We needed that capital for tech development, hiring key staff, you know, cash for marketing and sales. So it was really, I think for us, once we really knew what we wanted to do, we'd actually started building our MVP. You know, that's when it all started. So that was in 2018 for us. Right. So basically you followed quite the of a similar approach for many startups, you came with a concept, developed the concept, and then did you raise a friends and family round or did you move directly to a pre-seed or seed round? Yeah, so we actually, so I self-funded at the beginning and then I actually, we went to, someone said to come along to one of these pitch rooms, get on stage, tell everyone about what we're doing. And we did raise an amount on the same day, actually, from somebody who was really interested, you know, he was keen. And then after that, that, you know, we, we raised investment that way. So we funded it 
myself with that first investor and then we went straight to to seed with our strategic investor is that twinkle hive uh, yes yeah right. so we were the first company to to join their edtech accelerator in 2019 and we received cash and service from them in in, in 2019 which was amazing so they really helped us accelerate and and grow rapidly um and they were perfect for us i mean i you know the investment journey which i know we're going to talk about but i you know they were they were the right investor for us yeah and what were the steps that you took going to that pitch night event that you set and then applying for twinkle hive and how important is it to have a good network in a moment like that so the steps you know i think the first thing you know is really working on your um financial model you know your pitch deck and i think that process can take a long time you know I, you know and it is of course ongoing but i think the first step is you just need to know exactly you know what you're doing and what you want you know how much will things cost who are you going to be hiring what's what does the product uh, roadmap look like what's your sales and marketing stra- strategy so before we went you know before we went out that was something that we spent a long time on we also got SEIS ready which is a scheme that encourages investors to invest and benefit from tax relief so we were ready with that scheme and i think the model and the pitch deck we had lots of versions so you know i had a bootstrap of what's the bare minimum i need to make this happen and also my ideal kind of scaling model and i think at that time you know we revised the deck many many times with lots of feedback from investors that that helped us along the way but the next step i think for us once we had our model we had the pitch deck i approached every single person that i knew <laughs> and everyone i didn't know and i sent everyone you know just a one pager if i had got some interest i would follow with my pitch deck and obviously an nda in place and then you know we would go ahead with meetings and i you know i met at that time I met everyone. I met angels, VCs, family offices, high net worth individuals, and I, I learned from every single meeting. I knew that VC obviously wasn't the right route, but I was interested. I think just for my own learning to understand what they would look for at, at a later stage if we needed them. So I think for other startups, it's just good to know like what type of investor you want. You know, do you want them to be involved or not involved? Strategic, hands-on or hands-off? Or you know, I think it's just good to know. I think time you need to spend time knowing what you want, or speak to lots of people if you don't know what you want, and you you will figure it out. So that you know, the steps. So I had the model, I had the pitch deck. I went out and and spoke to everyone. And I think with regards to the network, I always yes, of course, it is important and useful to have a a good network. But I think. you can always find the right networks too i think the key is is just to kind of get out there you need to start talking to anyone in your industry in your space who will listen to you about your company and vision just go for it you need to speak to as many people as possible and i think you will have knockbacks and you know you just got to learn from it understand why why that happened in you know in your meeting why people might not be interested learn from it is the key and you know and just get up and and keep going i mean for our journey everyone was actually totally on board with our concept they fully understood that this was a global issue and we needed to get this you know to make this education it was just needed you know get this education out there 
So the only question mark for us was actually the reach. Most investors said the same thing, which is like, how are you going to do it? You know, we know that it is tough to sell to schools. And because of that feedback is why I, you know, why I then approached our strategic investor, Twinkle, to, to help. And that's when we successfully raised our investment. So now I think the good thing is lots of those people that said no, obviously seen our traction and have come back to us as they've seen us develop. But but really that was the, the process and that's how we got in touch with, with Twinkle. Yeah, and it feels like you had all the right things in place. You contacted people, then you got the necessary feedback. You realized that the challenge is going to be to contact in schools. And then I guess it was good for you to have Twinkle Hive to be a partner with them because I'm sure that they have opened a lot of doors with schools. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They've been huge. And then equity investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, equity investment is when you're giving part of the company uh, in exchange for cash. Do you think it's worth giving equity? And what factors play in towards how much equity you're willing to give to to your investors? Yeah, so I think for my personal opinion, yes, it's worth it. You know, in our situation, raising cash and services for our business has had a, an incredible impact. And I think giving equity to the investor also keeps them totally motivated and, and driven too. So, you know, for us, we're doing it together with Twinkhorn and having them on board you know, for cash and services is, is great, but also having their their education and business experience in our team, you know, is incredible too. So I think for us, yes. I think in terms of when you're looking at, you know, giving away equity, I think it just comes down to your figures. So, I mean, for us, you know, once you've got that model and you know what your cash need is, what your what the future looks like, what are your projections for the next three years or five years, you know, I think the equity is then a negotiation and investor will obviously need to look at your figures and see if your valuation is obviously fair or not. And I think our, our valuation was always very fair. We were always told that in every other meeting and that, but obviously it is always a, a negotiation. And I, and one thing to note is I actually, I had help with my model and I, and I think, you know, with other entrepreneurs and, you know, people in similar situations, it's like, if you don't, if you need help, just go and get it. I think it's good to, I think, have help with people that have experience of doing this day in, day out. And I still have that connection that, that helps me now. So I had help with my model, you know, he, he ripped it apart a few times and we kept working on it and fine tuning it. So, so I think giving away equity is really based on your figures and but at the end of the day, it's a negotiation so that everyone's obviously feeling happy and committed to the mission. I think as a startup, obviously, if you're going out to market with an idea, you're obviously going to be giving maybe lots more equity compared to a, a startup with traction and, and, and revenue kind of stage that we're at. So I would just say, you know, get the company get the company to a position, get go as far as you can, basically, and, and then show your investor, you know, the value of, of you, you know, and your business. And I think that's when I think you're just in a, in a better position. And speak, speak to other founders. I think the startup network, everyone goes through the similar challenges. So, you know, speak to other people, find out how they've done it. Yeah, I guess this is the, the quickest way to validate that a VC or an investor is ethical and is not going to do something that you might regret to just check check their social yeah. media profiles even because uh, nowadays yeah. everything is online like especially since since last year 
So yeah. I guess this is a very quick way to, uh, to, to, to get the initial feedback before you even make a move towards the investor or whatever. Yeah. And now coming to the moment when you receive the investment with, with Twinkle Hive, what is the correct mindset to have? Because I guess there are founders who might get too ahead of themselves. What do you think is the correct way to approach the situation when you now have received the funding that you've been trying to get? The first thing I would say is just obviously celebrate. <laughs> you worked so hard and for us, we've worked so hard to get to that point. So have a moment, but do not spend the money until you know. I mean, you should already have, we had a really clear plan um, between when we got the investment. So, and I think you should already have that plan before you go and ask. But I think it's just pause and just be smart with that money be really clear about what you're going to do with it. Again, I think it's just keep revisiting your budget and what you're planning to do. Is that still something you're going to do? You know, are you going to still spend on whatever it was and how much is it and why? Well, you know, what's the return of, of spending X amount? I think it's just being really smart and not, I know other founders and friends that have have received money and just got carried away and spent here and there and then, then they realise it's gone. And I know that's a common mistake. So I just feel... I just think if you treat it like obviously your own hard-earned cash, which is how I treat it, you know, I think every penny counts and you just need to make the most impact with it. And I think it's just having a plan. I think that's the biggest thing. When we received the, the cash from Twinkle Hive, we only, at, right at the beginning, the first thing that I felt 100% confident, that, you know, spending on was the tech. And everything else I reviewed and reviewed again and again my plan before I, I spent further. So, yeah, I think planning. And on a practical note, what advice would you give to startups in terms of their pitch decks? What could they do so they really stand out? Yeah, so pitch decks are, I mean, I, I feel like I know a lot about pitch decks now after our experience and after lots of people now sending me their decks. And it, I do love looking at a deck. So, I think for me, the biggest thing is just make sure it's simple and concise. I think making it, making it really crystal clear is key. And I think I've got certain things that we've got, you know, we had in ours, but the main things, the biggest thing, actually, the first thing is you've got to be really clear about the problem that you're trying to solve. You know, what is that problem? Why is it a problem? Back up that problem. And I think that should be the first thing. I think somebody, the good decks that I've seen as well, how we had up with our deck, it was the problem. What is the issue? And why are you the solution? I think is the next step of, you know, how are we going to help with this? For us, it was just a global issue. And just having, being really clear of, and assuming that no one knows this market of how you're going to help with that. So I think the problem, the solution, I think competitors, and we we spent a, obviously a lot of time looking at other um, companies that are doing maybe similar things. So it's knowing your competitors and also knowing what's what's very unique, being very clear about what makes you so different so that an investor can quickly see what it is, this is the problem, here's the solution, this is the, these are the other pink people in the market, and this is what you're offering. I think it's worth having your addressable market in there of who you're, who's this product for. And in terms of figures, I think it's just got to be really simple. I mean, you're, you're not going to put obviously your whole financial model in there, but it's just having a snapshot of the projections for the next three years, what that looks like. So having that in there, and I think 
what we changed a few times is we actually had lots of platform info and what I realized that even though obviously investors want to see what it is but they they do also want to look at the numbers and 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 I think the plat with regards to the product whether it's a couple of screenshots or maybe a demo link or a short video I think it's worth having a few bits in there but I, I do think it's it's not don't go into the detail because I don't think that's the right stage to do it and I think we learned that during our lots of pitch decks you know during that time so the numbers are important but I think for us as our branding is key and that's one of our kind of unique selling points that we are very child friendly you know we, we need to show that off so we did include a few images but it's just keeping that to a to a minimum I think having your mentioning your team your advisors, your partnerships, you know, your credibility, I think is worth adding in your pitch deck and then your track record if you've already launched, you know, your traction. And at the end, I think it's really just got to be what is, what do you want? If someone's looking at this, you've taken this through and through this lovely journey, but what do you want? So I think it's just worth being really clear, you know, is it equity or what type of deal are you looking at? How much are you looking for and what are you going to do with the money? So obviously not detailed, but just in a nutshell of what are your plans and what do you hope to achieve with that money? And I think all of those points, it sounds like a lot, but I think the key is simplicity. And I really do feel we nailed it by the end because it was simple. We had to just keep taking bits in and out. And I think it will keep evolving. We we learned by just every little golden nugget that every experienced investor told us at the time. So I think, you know, you keep adding to it. And let's say that I'm a founder in Sheffield. I have developed my concept. I know what I'm doing. I know how much money I need. Mm-hmm. And I have developed my pitch deck. Now, what are some places, whether whether online or whether any events or social media groups or people that you would navigate me to that, that you think would be the best place uh, for a person in my position to go to or try to contact people in that space? Yeah, if 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 you're based in Sheffield and you're listening to this, I would contact the Twinkle Hive is my is the go to. I, I just, you know, the the accelerator obviously it's helped me, it's helped other founders massively. So I just think if you you are in that position and you've got a clear plan, you you want that help, whether that's cash or service, if they depending on your product, I would go and have a chat with I mean Amber or M at Twinkle Hive and have that initial conversation. And I think just from that conversation you'll learn loads and you'll know whether they're right for you or if you need to go and do something else to maybe go back to them. But that would be I would just make that call <laughs> because at the moment, I think in Sheffield, they, you know, since we've come on board, I don't, I've, I've lost track, but they have invested in so many companies and supporting so many, I think, graduates as well with their scheme and, and offering funding there. So I think that would, that should be the first point of call. And are you planning to raise more money with Nutterhub? Yes. So, I mean, it's the first time I'm actually saying that actually on a, on a podcast or out there, but Yes, we will be raising further funds very soon to scale up. And I'm actually going through exactly what I've just said. I'm going through this process now with tweaking my model and my deck. We are looking to, to, you know, we've got some exciting plans. 
with Natahab and to help parents even more. So I think for now, we've got a proven concept. We've got great traction and it's time to, to take Natahab to the next level. So yeah, hot news for you, Dennis. <laughs> That's great. And uh, by the way, talking about investments, have you ever considered and what do you think about platforms like Crowdcube? Yeah, so I'm actually, Crowdcube's actually on my list right now to look at because I think I think it is worth looking at because of the, I think because of the awareness for us, I think it could be a potential route, maybe now or not too sure, or maybe with another investor. But I just think, you know, you you just get that, the awareness of what you're doing. And I think because of our product and you know, the global need, and I think reaching out to parents as well, it could be an option for us. I think you need to actually go in with another lead Kind of investor and obviously we have twinkle or if we do you know raise with somebody else but it's definitely worth looking into yeah and in no way i'm an investment expert but i think that with a business like yours where in a sense every parent uh would be looking at natural as a potential solution to yeah. to their children's digital literacy and safety crowdcube would be for me a platform that could help you because as you said, it's not just the money, it's the raising of awareness, it's the it's the way to put yourself out there to so many people because this platform is getting bigger and bigger. And I'm personally a big fan. That's why, no, that's why I wanted to ask you to see what, uh, what your opinion is on it. Yeah, I mean, I think for us recently, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we, we launched a, a parent login. So now parents can go into our platform and actually you know, have a look at the lessons that, that their child's carried out and at home support their digital literacy and online learning. And that's been really successful. And we just launched that recently. But we've got lots of other ideas for parents. At the moment, the product is in schools, but we just watch this space. And I think that's where we just want to take it to another level. And that's why I think absolutely Crowdcube is a good option. Sounds great. And Manjit, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I'll definitely keep in touch and uh, oh, wish you good luck with it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot, Dennis. Thanks for having me again. I hope you find my conversation with Manjit valuable and got some practical advice that will be useful if you're a founder on a funding journey. That was the episode for today. I'd like to ask for feedback about the new format. Are you interested to hear these stories? Do you prefer local ones or global ones? Are two enough or are they too many? Do you prefer to just have an episode where I'm talking with a guest rather than sharing these stories? Any feedback would be appreciated in my pursuit to improve the podcast. She Valley is supported by Sheffield Technology Parks. Thank you for listening and enjoy your day.